What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome to The Exchange, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Here's what's ahead. In just 25 hours, the Fed will announce its decision to raise rates. That means your borrowing costs from everything from credit cards to car loans are likely to go up. We'll take a look at the impact on your money. And another big event with implications for your money, that is the midterms. We're going to break down what happens to money and markets in each of the three scenarios, a blue wave, a red wave, or a mixed Congress. And we're going to get you ready for more big earnings reports coming up We've got the story, we've got the trade on both AMD and Airbnb. We got all that ahead, but let's begin with these markets. And we are, now we're not seeing a big move. We wouldn't expect a big move ahead of the Fed. You know that by now. The Fed's actually meeting today. The rate decision comes tomorrow. These are two-day meetings. We're seeing the Dow down three-tenths of 1%, 112 points. Almost no move. That's totally normal because everybody's going to kind of wait and see mode as well. We got some better-than-expected jobs numbers through the JOLTS data as well. Let's talk about technology. Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, AAA, as we'll call them, they're all down right now, although you heard Dom hit the news about Meta and Snap on that interview. We'll get more, I'm sure, on TikTok and those stocks right now. Amazon's actually down 5%, Apple down 2%, Alphabet down about 3%. We got a big deal in the pharmaceutical space. Johnson & Johnson says it is buying a biomed for $380 a share in cash. That is a 51% premium. Look at that. If you own ABMD, congratulations. You're having a very, very good day and probably a very good year. Meantime, Chinese internet and casino stocks, they're also rallying. That's on chatter. The government will begin relaxing. Just chatter. This is not known policy. Don't want to be mis- or disinformation, but there is some chatter coming out of China that the government may finally start to pull back on that zero COVID policy. Again, we've heard this before, and it hasn't worked out, so just be careful. But right now, those Chinese internet names, they are all moving almost exactly the same, all up 5 and 6%. The big earnings winner of the day, I shouldn't say earnings, results, no earnings, Uber, company reporting a 72% jump in revenue. Customers spent more on rides and food delivery. Gross bookings grew 26%, but again, Earnings imply profit, not the case, but still, market likes it. Earnings, Uber, up 13% there. All right, those are individual names. Let's kick off the hour with the market event, not of the month, maybe the year. That is the Federal Reserve. 25 hours from now, we're going to know how much the Fed is raising borrowing costs and what it is saying about the path of rate hikes ahead. But there is also another story here sort of bubbling up under the surface. That is confidence, or lack of, in Chairman Jay Powell. Steve Leisman has the results of the latest CNBC Fed survey. Steve, welcome. What would you find? Confidence declining, Brian, in the Fed chairman as he sets to raise rates by 75 basis points for a fourth time, a sign in itself that policy was behind the curve. The Fed misjudged inflation and the chairman kept policy too loose for too long. Uh, The results, very low grades from respondents to the latest CNBC Fed survey. Leadership, a B-minus. Communication, a B-minus. D-plus on economic forecasting. 
and a C on overall monetary policy. What about the overall job performance declines to a C from a B minus back in May? And they liked him a whole lot with A's back when he was pumping up the system. Uh, recession likelihood is 63 percent, up from 52 percent in September. Uh, but that recession, though, is seen as being moderate. 58% say it will be moderate, uh, with 39% saying it will be mild. All this comes while the survey shows the Federal Reserve hiking rate 75 basis points tomorrow, 50 in December. That's the pivot that they're looking for, en route to a 4.8 peak rate that it holds for 10 months. So, Brian, a long way to go, assuming even 480 is that top rate, Brian. Yeah, I mean, listen, tomorrow, Steve... Um I know we watched the number. I understand you're going to be there and you're going to say, okay, we're up, you know, 75 basis points or, or, or you know, or a half a base point or, you know, 50, 50 basis points, a half a percent. How critical is the statement and what we hear? I mean, it, that seems to be where everybody's focus is. Yeah, so Powell has to walk a bit of a knife's edge tomorrow, Brian, or in the press conference tomorrow, Brian. He has to say maybe we are going to go down and reduce the 75s to 50, but make the mark, not make the market believe that that means they're going to stop at the current rate or about to pause rates. They're still going to be hiking. I think that's still going to be the message. So a little relief on the pace of rates, but I don't think there's much relief coming, Brian, in terms of how far the Fed goes. Talking to some people today, you know, 450, 4, 494 is the current peak rate in the market, 480 in our survey. Um, you know, it's not crazy to think about a 5% funds rate if he doesn't get inflation under control. Yeah, I think it was J.P. Morgan yesterday, Steve, saying that if the Fed does sort of pivot to dovish, that the, the stock market could run 10%. We'll see. Steve, I know you're not going to sleep for the next 25 hours, so we appreciate it. Maybe the next 30. Steve, thank you. Thanks, Thanks Brian. <laughs> All right. All this coming is we have had one of the best months ever for the stock market. Some much-needed relief in what has been a brutal year for anybody invested in pretty much anything outside of oil and gas. And your first market guest today says stick with what's winning. Joining us here is Mark Smith. He is Senior VP and Portfolio Manager at Wells Fargo Advisors. Mark, good to have you back on. We talked before, I know it was maybe a month ago, you said you liked energy. Holy mackerel, what a rally we have had in oil and gas stocks in the past 30 days. I mean, you've done well for the clients. Are you starting to get a little nervous? They've run too far too fast, or are you sticking with it? Thanks for having me on, Brian. I think that energy going into the winter is gonna be, and, and having a, a war in Ukraine, I think will continue to run. And let's not forget, you start off the segment talking about China. China's still in lockdown. I don't know, I don't know why, but if they if that that's the case, when they finally get back on, you're going to have, I think, even a, a tremendous more demand coming out of one of the largest economies in the world. And so that's why you got to be in the energy side. But the, but the sector that I like the most, and I, I wish I could pound a table on it, is the financials. Uh, this sector is prime to make money in a rising rate environment, environment like we're seeing. We're going to see possibly 75 basis points more uh, that the Fed's going to raise uh, tomorrow. And so that should tell you that the financials are going to be one of the biggest beneficiaries because a net interest margin, all the money they make on mortgages, credit cards, et cetera, uh, the financials are, I think, um, also undervalued compared to a lot of some other sectors out there um, historically, even going back to 0809. So uh, for all those reasons, financials are a great bet. And uh, as rates go up, you're going to see these uh, this sector shine. China, you're bringing up a critical point. Their energy demand has been well down. Because we know why. When you shut down a few cities with 20 million people in each one, that's what happens. If China says, you know what, the population's angry, we've done enough, let's reopen, 
it's winter, their demand booms. What's going to happen to U.S. companies, U.S. energy companies? I think they're going to continue to uh, to make record profits. That's what I think. Um, if you can't, you can't have the uh, the price of oil go over a hundred and stay there uh, for for uh, for months on end and not have these energy companies make money. So um, in that scenario, you wanna you wanna own the XLE, um, you know, a broad swath of all these energy companies out there because I think the demand is going to be um, increasing. And, and God forbid something happens in Russia where they start really tinkering even more than they already are with with all the uh, energy going to Europe, you, you might have a serious uh, um, issue there from a supply standpoint. And that, again, would uh, rise prices. Yeah, it's, uh, I actually got the numbers this morning because I'm going back to Europe. We take 588 shipments of LNG to make up for what has been lost by the Nord Stream pipeline flows for next year. That, according to Rystad Energy, that is a lot of LNG ships. A lot of that will come from the United States. Let's go back into financials. Financials. Mark, there's, there's like Wells Fargo. You may have heard of them. They're a gigantic bank. And then you got like mom and pop banks with three branches on the corner and a micro cap stock. What kind of financials do you think are going to outperform? Right. You want to be diversified. But I do think that the, the, uh, the large money center banks are going to do the, the best because of all the different ways they can make money. Um, again, uh, a mom and pop bank in these regionals, um, the, I think they'll do well. And I think if you look at the charts, th- there is some um, opportunity there. But when you think about uh, being diversified and having multiple streams uh, of income from any one of these large banks uh, continue to do well with uh, rates this high, you want to own them. And, and, that, and nothing against the mom and pop banks. But um, I, when I invest my money, I want to go with the safer bet. And I think it's the big banks. Mark Smith, Wells Fargo Advisors. Great call on, by the way, oil and gas a month ago because those stocks Pretty much every one of them has run up. Mark, congrats. Appreciate it. See you soon. Thank you. All right, on deck. Call it, uh, I don't know, semiconductors and staycations. AMD and Airbnb set to report their numbers after the bell. We'll tell you what everybody is looking for in earnings exchange. But first, we are one week away from the midterm elections. And business is on the ballot, especially in the battleground state of Nevada. Elon Moy is in Las Vegas, where inflation is still front and center for voters. Alon. Well, Brian, there are a lot of poll numbers that are coming out in Nevada's Senate race, but the real number you need to know is right behind me, $5.09. That is the cost of a gallon of gas here in Las Vegas, and it's fueling voter outrage. We'll tell you more on The Exchange coming up. This is The Exchange on CNBC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Electricity. A big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? SPY. 
Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. Spy is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Let's talk the midterms. Polls indicate the House of Representatives is likely going to swing back to the GOP. The biggest question people have seems to be by how much. But the Senate is a very different story. And while everybody seems focused on the super tight and contentious races in Pennsylvania and Georgia, what is happening out west may be the real swing state. And that is Nevada. Lon Moyes in Las Vegas. Look at what may end up being maybe the most important Senate battle right now that's not getting the attention, probably because they're on West Coast time. <laughs> well, that's right, Brian. Nevada might be Republicans' best chance of flipping a blue Senate seat red. The incumbent Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto is locked in a dead heat with her Republican challenger, Adam Laxalt. The Real Clear Politics polling average has him up six tenths of one percent, so 46.6 versus 46 percent. And when we talk to voters here on the ground, what they told us over and over again is that the price of gas is one of their top issues. And in fact, some people aren't even filling their tanks all the way up. That's probably pretty expensive, so I haven't even filled up my tank <laughs> to even know how much it is around gas prices at this time. Obviously, I have my primary job, and then on the side I do Uber Eats, but majority of the money I make on Uber Eats now is going towards my tank, so I can't use that to put towards savings. That's why I pay for now $15. Too expensive. Nevada has the third highest gas prices in the country. And as you can see at many stations, the price is still over $5 a gallon. Brian, there is deep skepticism here over whether any party, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, can really do anything to bring these costs back down. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, Elon, what are the can- we don't get a lot of coverage on the Nevada Senate race on the New York channels. What are the candidates saying they're going to do. I understand everybody says they've got a plan. What are you going to tap some of that Nevada oil and gas out there in the desert? Seriously, what's going to, what are they saying? Yeah, so we were at an event yesterday with Senator Cortez Masto, and she tried to focus instead on health care prices and some of the measures in the Inflation Reduction Act that would allow Medicare to negotiate the price of prescription drugs. And when it came to gas prices, she really tried to point the finger at big oil companies. She accused them of profiteering and price gouging during the pandemic. So some shifting of the blame there. On the Republican side, Adam Laxalt has talked a lot about the need to rein in government spending. He said the fiscal stimulus we've seen so far has been absurd. And his way to curb inflation would be to cut government spending and then to restore growth, he said, by keeping those tax cuts that Republicans passed in 2017 going. All right. Elon Moy out in uh, Las Vegas. I, uh, and, I, I, and, if we, and if you shift a little to your left, our viewers can get some better ch- Look at that $4.99 a gallon sign that you referenced earlier. There you go. The AM PM Mini Mart. I remember those from a kid's. Look at that. $4.99 cash, $509 credit, although it is, you know, in a downtown area. Elon, thank you. All right, so let's dig in on what the midterms mean for your money because your next guest research really is a must read on Wall Street, and he's laid out the impacts. Of the three possible scenarios, a blue sweep, a red sweep, or a mixed Congress. Let's bring in Chris Kruger. He is managing director of the Washington Research Group at Cowan. Chris, okay, before we get to the scenarios, 
Something in your last note caught mine. It's not your Grateful Dead or Fish lyrics that you're always throwing in there. You actually said something nobody's ever said. As goes Maine, so goes the nation. Talking about the gubernatorial race for Maine. What the heck are you talking about? Well, as a, you know, as a native Vermonter, it's always good to get some New England references in there. You've got a handful of races in New Hampshire, but also uh, the main gubernatorial election. Um, right. There is an East Coast bias and all this, but that's mainly because the polls close a lot earlier uh, and they count the vote a lot earlier. Uh, if the main gubernatorial race, uh, Paul LePage, the former Republican, uh, looking to get his job back, if he is close in that race and or is winning that race and or a handful of these other uh, Republican congressional candidates uh, are close or winning in, in New England, that's a pretty good indicator that the red wave is going to crest all the way, uh, roll all the way to the Pacific uh, throughout the evening. Yeah, but it doesn't look like the, the, the LePage, the Republican, has much of a chance. Stranger things have happened. Um, what we tried to do just for, for investors at, at Cowan is put together a handful of bellwether races. And it's not even so much if, if LePage wins. It's is it competitive? Is it close? Uh, you can make inferences from that because a lot of these bigger races that folks are focused on are going to take a long time to count, whether it's Pennsylvania, whether it's Arizona, yeah. whether it's Wisconsin. So the I, we, we wanted to you know put together a couple of bellwethers, give people a sense of what to watch for uh, when the vote stops. Right. Because it's it's not one week from now when the election begins. Hopefully that's when the election ends. By tomorrow, we will probably have about 25 million votes already cast. Yeah, that, And that is the big thing. We forget how many votes, maybe a quarter of the votes, because they say this could be the most voted on election of all time. Which is good. It means democracy is, is strong. and We're happy to hear that. Um, what's the likelihood we won't know what happened in Georgia for a long time? Well, Georgia, uh, uh, just uh, just like two years ago, could well go to overtime. If no candidate receives 50 percent plus one of the vote, uh, you have a runoff on December 6th. There is a libertarian candidate in Georgia um, who could easily get you know, low single digits that would prevent the two primary candidates, uh, Senator, Senator Warnock, the Democrat, and Herschel Walker, the Republican, from from uh, from breaking 50 percent. So um, just like uh, two years ago, we may uh, be going to overtime uh, in, in Georgia. What's the most likely ultimate outcome and what does it mean for the markets? Uh, from a market standpoint, um, what really matters is do, not do you get both House and Senate, but do, do you get one? Because uh, which seems the most likely, uh, both House and Senate flip to Republicans. From an investor standpoint, that means for the next two years, tax hikes are off the table and increased fiscal spend is off the table. A uh, lot of apprehension about future uh, fiscal spend from market participants, just because that will make the Fed's job of taming inflation all the harder. Yeah. Um, so we're yeah. back to we're back to divided government and we're back to, you know, investigations, impeachments, et cetera. But on the big macro items that investors care about, uh, that should be pretty welcome news for investors. There was a story out today. You're a Vermonter. So as a New Englander, maybe you still have family there. They probably get their power and light from Eversource, which is the biggest utility. Eversource's CEO just sent a letter to the White House 
basically asking for help with natural gas because they have a real risk of running low or running out of natural gas. And the thought of a, of a winter in Burlington where the heat doesn't turn on because your utility is out of gas is not only terrifying, it just seems impossible in the United States in the year 2022, but it's, but it's a real story. If we get a red sweep, do you think there will be meaningful change to energy policy where you might get some pipelines in the Northeast so don't have to burn wood and trash to make power, which is literally what they're doing today? Well, you still have, I mean, in terms of energy policy, right, you just passed the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, $300 billion plus in, in climate uh, and, and tax credits. What didn't get done is Senator Manchin's energy permitting um, reforms. Now, depending on the margins in the Senate, um, that that is something that, that will certainly uh, be on the agenda. It'll also probably be on the agenda in the lame duck uh, when Congress returns in two weeks about 10 bills in that lame duck. Um, and right, Congress re- typically reacts uh, uh, in situations like that. So uh, that's something certainly to keep an eye on in terms of uh, the energy uh, space. Chris Kruger, you know, I remember remember the Maine from like 1898, but I've never heard of as goes Maine, so goes the nation. Watch in Maine, always a unique insight. Chris, really appreciate your views. Thank you very much. Great seeing you, Brian. All right, coming up, recession? Not in travel, apparently. The CEO of Wyndham Resorts is coming up. As we head to break, let's take a look at the Dow heat map with stocks pretty split. Apple, Microsoft, and Merck, the worst performers, Chevron. Oil and gas, oil's up today. Oil and gas stocks are up today. We're back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Right, welcome back to The Exchange. Let's get right now to Julia Borston for a market flash on TikTok, Snap, Meta. This is some really interesting developing story, Julia. Indeed, Brian, shares of Meta and Snap are trading higher right now. We see Meta platforms up over 4% on a report in Axios that FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr says that CFIUS should move to ban TikTok. One of the five FCC commissioners, Carr, telling Axios of recent revelations about how TikTok and parent ByteDance manage user data, quote, I don't believe there is a path forward for anything other than a ban. Worth noting here that the FCC itself doesn't have any authority to regulate or ban TikTok. CFIUS does, and CFIUS is currently in talks with TikTok to determine if it can or should be divested to a U.S.-based company. Also want to note here that we have seen TikTok growing ad do- draw growing ad dollars and users. The app has been downloaded well more than 200 million times in the U.S., and we've heard a lot about TikTok and the threat it has posed to the growth of Snap and Meta. I also want to point out that shares of Oracle are at session lows on this news, down about 2%. TikTok currently routes its U.S. traffic to Oracle cloud infrastructure. 
Brian. All right. This commissioner, Brent, a guy named Brendan Carr, he is a, he has been outspoken sort of against TikTok for a long time. So this may not be as new as we think, but I'm not sure we've heard, maybe with the exception of the previous administration, for calls of banning TikTok. And this has got to come from what? All the national security concerns. You're basically letting some some would say you're letting a live mic and a camera that re- goes to servers in China into your home. Also, keep in mind that we are a week ahead of the election and there's this question of how the algorithm and the content that is shown to users may be influenced by the ownership. Of course, um, TikTok has said and and ByteDance has said repeatedly that they are operated um, out of those servers here in the U.S. and are not influenced by their Chinese ownership. We are still awaiting a comment from TikTok on this news. But you're right. Brendan Carr has been a, a critic of TikTok. But what's notable here is that he's saying he doesn't see any path forward other than an outright ban. This is notable, particularly, Brian, because we do know that there have been these conversations between Syphius and TikTok about what a divestiture to a U.S.-owned company might look like. So he's saying a ban is the only way. You couldn't have it transferred to a company that's based out of here. So interesting stuff. We'll see how it all transpires, because ultimately this is in the hands of Syphius, not the FCC. Yeah, and you wonder if there's also a macro impact on already strained U.S.-China relations, effectively. Julia Borston, developing story. I'm sure we'll see more and get more on that. For now, though, let's step outside of money and business and get a CNBC News update with Bertha Coombs. Bertha. Hey, Brian. Here's what's happening at this hour. About 75% of ransomware attacks reported to the Treasury Department late last year were connected to Russian actors for all of 2021. Reported hacks cost nearly $1.2 billion, nearly triple the previous year. The Treasury Department says it was also the target of an attack by a Russian hacker group last month, but it caused little disruption. SpaceX has launched its most powerful rocket for the first time in three years. Foggy conditions couldn't stop the Falcon Heavy from blasting off from Cape Canaveral. This was the Falcon Heavy's fourth flight. It carried a number of satellites, including two classified payloads for the U.S. Space Force. And an extremely rare first edition copy of the U.S. Constitution is hitting the auction block next month. Just 13 are known to have survived. Only two are in private hands, including this one. Sotheby's estimates that it could fetch up to $30 million. On the news, encouraging signs of progress toward protecting newborn babies against RSV. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. So, Brian, if we win that lotto jackpot tomorrow, you want to go in on the Constitution? Why, you know, listen, a large part of this country was actually built partly in the U.K. as well on, on lotteries. They had different types of lotteries back then, but they would go around. It seems, it seems apt. Yeah. Here's the question. No, Bertha, hold on. I've got a very important question. We go in 50-50, all right? Okay. We win. We win because we will, you and I together. Oh, of course. Do we do the lump sum or the annuity? See, everyone's a like, take the lump sum. I see, I'll lump do the annuity. Sum. Lump sum, for sure. I can't wait around for the end. Can't wait around. I know. <laughs> Me neither. But my kids can, and my grandkids, and their kids, and their grandkids. Bertha, thank you. All right, still ahead. We're talking chips and chalets. AMD and Airbnb on deck to report the key things to watch now and how to position on both. It's called Earnings Exchange, and it's next.
All right, welcome back, everybody. It is time for Earnings Exchange, and today we have the action, the story, and the trade on AMD and Airbnb. First up, that is AMD, Advanced Micro Devices. The street expecting an earnings miss after the company pre-announced back in October it expected revenues to come in light. Christina Partsenevelos joining us with the story, and Ari Wald here with the trade, Managing Director at Oppenheimer. Christina, what's the story on uh-huh. AMD? Not OMD, that's a band if you leave. AMD. AMD, I'm going to give you, because the action, I'll tell you about the action through a story. And the action was earlier in October, the company pre-announced saying that revenue was going to drop, but still increase 29% year over year. And you're thinking, hey, that's pretty good. But a lot of that has to do with AMD's acquisition of Xilinx. If you take Xilinx out of the equation, then revenues should be pretty flat for Q3. Uh, The second thing, there's a few points that AMD warned in Q3, the fact that you've got weaker consumer demand. We know this already. Our viewers are smart. They've heard a lot about this. The second point is inventory dynamics, as a lot of customers, you know, deal with bloated inventory levels. AMD said their client segment, which composes uh, PC chips, will actually decline 40 percent year over year in Q3. And then lastly, you got aggressive price cuts coming from competitors, more specifically Intel. So if they're cutting prices drastically, that could force AMD to do so and that could hurt margins. So the last little point, is there a silver lining in data center sales? AMD said that data center sales would fall in line with estimates, and this is their pre-announcement, so we know that. But what will happen going forward, Q4 and the full year? Are we starting to see some weakness there like we did with Intel? Mm. Intel saw a 27% drop in profit for that category, this data center. So those are some of the factors. There's the story. You said silver linings. Christina, thank you. Ari Wald, is there a silver linings playbook here on AMD? (laughs) Well, it's not one we can advocate for based on the chart and technical analysis alone. Uh, I could, you can make the case, the silver lining, how we see it, it, is that the stock is tactically oversold. So perhaps a lot of those worries have been already uh, priced into the, the slide that we've seen into the recent low point. Uh, do you think the overall stronger market conditions could uh, act as support as well. So our feel is that AMD is finding the lower end of its range at $59. This marking the uh, breakout from July of 2020. But against that bearish trend, any sort of surprise on the upside likely to find selling pressure. Uh, I think if uh, there is a positive reaction, you're looking to sell this stock into its 50-day average, marking resistance at $71. Ari Wald. We're going to see it in a second. Thank you very much. All right, next up, we've got two today, not three. It's deflation in earnings exchange. Airbnb, shares are down 34% this year. They posted a strong second quarter earnings beat. They expect year-over-year growth in the third quarter to be on par with the second quarter. Question is, can they do it? Deirdre Bosa joining us now with the story. Deirdre, everybody loved Airbnbs because, they, you know, it was covid They didn't want to stay in hotels. They wanted to just kind of stay by themselves in a house. But yeah. Is like, you know, you know what happened to like Peloton post-COVID? Like, what's going to happen with Airbnb here? What are people saying? Well, I think the question is, people like traveling to Airbnbs. Do they now like living in Airbnbs? So you want to look at those long-term stays because that is a trend that the company has seen is that people, as we live in this hybrid work environment, are actually staying in their Airbnbs for longer. That is helping their bottom line. Does that continue? We know that people want folks back in the office. So that's a question. You also want to look at the guidance. We spoke to Brian Chesky 
Um, in September, near the end of that quarter, he said that demand remains really strong. I wonder, however, and investors are going to be wondering if they've seen some of that demand peter off over the last few months, as you know, the likes of Amazon have said. Uber didn't say that, though, so maybe it remains strong. The average daily rate as well, this is sort of a sign of Airbnb inflation. It has been increasing at a very quick clip over the last few years. Is that moderating at all? And Brian, finally, yesterday we spoke about Uber and the massive amounts of losses that we continue to see. Guess what? This is a sharing economy company that is making money, minting profit, a billion in net income expected this quarter. Because you have a nice house and you go there and you spend time with your lovely family and then you get on. Everybody's, you know, does their own thing. You're not delivering burgers. I don't know. We, we can get into the Deirdre Bosa. You and I can get into that. Ari Wald, trade on Airbnb. Stock's down, but the numbers are good. It's kind of a weird situation. Yeah, I think the trade is still lower. There are some positives to point to. It. Look, here's a stock that made a higher low in October. Uh, versus where it was in the summer, the, the market made a lower low. So that is can be viewed as an indication of relative strength. It was sold less aggressively than other stocks in the market. Uh, still taking a step back, our work is cautious as long as the stock uh, is below the May breakdown level from its uh, below its 2021 low. There And there are some signs that it's yeah. starting to curl lower uh, again over the near term. So I see some near-term downside risk to $100. That's a September low. Uh, conversely, if there would be an upside surprise, I think you're going to see some selling pressure at that 200-day average, marking resistance at $130. A pretty tough take there on Airbnb. Are you more optimistic on the Phillies? Are you guaranteeing victory tonight? Not guaranteeing, but I'm saying this. The Philadelphia fans, we are sacrificing the Sixer season so we could bring back both a World Series and a Super Bowl. Let's go. Eagles, only undefeated. The Eagles. Ari Wald, thank you very much. Dear Jabosa, I love, I love the Airbnb because you can take your rowing machine there. You know, your concept two, throw in the car, <laughs> get on club row. There you go. Dear Jabosa, thank you very much. All right. Still ahead, mortgage rates. You know they're up this year. The Fed has already hiked five times so far, on track for a six tomorrow. So what do you do? If you're a realtor right now, and there's a couple hundred thousand of you out there probably watching right now, what do you do? CEO of Coldwell Banker up next. Talk about that. Stick around. Welcome back. We're just about 24 hours away from your borrowing costs likely going up again across the board, including mortgage rates, possibly if the bond market moves. And those rates are already at 21-year highs. Affordability is at multi-decade lows because home prices are still holding up. Needless to say, it is a critical and kind of unusual and weird time in the housing market. And the latest data has been brutal. Existing home sales in September fell their lowest level in a decade, down nearly 24% from the same time last year. The inventory shortage does not appear to be getting any better either. Housing starts, by the way, building a home, dropped 19% in September in building permits, an indication of you wanting to build a home fell 17%. For more on what this all means, let's bring in now. He is Ryan Gorman and CEO, president of Coldwell Banker. They've got 91,000 affiliated professionals and 3,000 offices, not just in the U.S., but around the world. The good news, Ryan, is that the housing market was on fire the last couple of years. I mean, anybody who wanted a home, tried to buy one, you had 100 people showing up in open house, Bidding wars, no contingencies, you know, all cash offers. Where are we 
And I know every market's different. I get it. Okay, Palm Beach is going to be different than Palmdale. Where are we now nationally? Well, I, I appreciate you having me. I appreciate the question. And I really appreciate some of the tee up that really all the markets are different. Right now, we're seeing a lot of uniformity in the overall trend. So certainly unit volume is largely what we're discussing, just the number of homes that are transacting right now declining significantly from where we were. I think when we released earnings, we talked about something like 17% down on volume, but we gave a hint that it's more like 25% in total volume as a, as a current run rate. That's not uniform across the country, but there are relatively few markets that are not overall down. The markets that were the hottest, the earliest, have cooled the most. There are a lot of markets that uh, didn't get quite as hot and are still trending in a relatively good direction. Year over year, price is still up, but the number of transactions that we're seeing take place, largely because of the inventory constraints you mentioned, and in part because of rates jumping up and impacting uh, affordability significantly, we are seeing that have an impact. Do you think there's going to be a time nationally where, because there seems to be this weird impasse where sellers are like, nope, 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 still not going to drop my price by a lot, maybe by a little, but no way. And you got buyers saying, hey, you got to drop your price. I mean, mortgage rates have doubled. And now we got this kind of this weird, it's like the Wild West, right? These gun spiders sort of in the streets. Who blinks first? Well, it's funny to hear you say uh, it's a weird market. I think you mentioned weird three times now, which absolutely fits, right? Because we are seeing some strange dynamics in there. It's not quite a buyer's market. It's not quite a seller's market. We are sort of having a little bit of a game of chicken. But typically, when a market starts to transition from, for instance, a, a seller's market to a buyer's market, there's an elongated period of perhaps it's denial, perhaps it's aspiration, but it's a relatively multi-month period. Here, I do believe we're seeing an acceleration of that, first in the luxury segment and then in the core segment, where we're seeing a compression of time. So overall, the amount of time it's taking for sellers to hopefully listen to their trusted advisor, their sales associate, their real estate agent, on what exactly is taking place today in the market, how exactly buyers are contemplating their own financing, whether they're mortgage financing or, or with cash, and how they're thinking about the wealth effect. All of those things, a good agent should be advising a client on exactly what to expect from the market. We are seeing sellers get realistic much more quickly than we have in the past. It's kind of a hallmark of the overall pandemic, it seems like. Just about every sales cycle, every trend cycle is being compressed, and we're seeing compression of that here too. Not seeing inventory come on to meet the demand just yet. I saw a stat Yesterday, and I don't know if it's true or not, so I don't want to say it, but it was basically indicating there's a high percentage of realtors this year that have not sold any homes. And, and we know that a lot of people, real estate agents, do it sort of part time. That's totally understandable. Um, to those agents that got into the market the last few years, they've really only known pretty good times. I think that's, that's fair to say. Low rates. What's your mm-hmm. advice out there to somebody who's, you know, young, been in the, been in the real, real estate game a couple of years, It's a scary time, not just a weird time. What's your advice to them on how to get through this? It certainly can be a weird time. Now, right now, we had a lot of our folks together last week for our annual conference. My advice then was people are going to have their best year ever this year, and it can certainly be you, but you've got to double down. You've got to work extremely hard. You've got to be on the phone with all of your past clients today, helping them to break down, for instance, a segment like this saying, hey, I was watching CNBC, I saw what's going on, how is that impacting my recent purchase or my aspiration to move in the coming months here? Can you help me with some context here? That's the best possible advice for agents. Now, you mentioned that we have a lot of folks who haven't sold a lot of homes. Cold Banker tends to skew much more toward the high productivity professional agents, but there's certainly a lot of licensees out there who found the last market to be intimidating when 
things get really, really, really hot, it can be difficult to demonstrate your value. In a market like this, for a good trusted advisor, to me, this is the absolute best time to demonstrate your value, providing your clients with calm through context and giving them yep. a lens into what's really going on in the market. Calm through context. I like it. Ryan Gorman, a Cowell banker. Important time to have you on. Ryan, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Up next, you've no doubt heard of the gig economy, but what about the giga economy? We'll explain next. In a very long research note, Cowan called the lithium-ion battery industry, quote, the new giga economy, and laying out the companies that might benefit. Pippa Stevens joining us now with the details and maybe some other potential winners, but there is a big one. Yes, but first, the giga economy, giga. of course, a play on gig economy and giga factories where Tesla manufactures its batteries. But essentially, we're hearing more and more about the electrification of everything, and lithium ion batteries are the key. Cowan forecasts the total addressable market reaching $370 billion by 2035. The firm noted the industry is at the cornerstone of several mega themes that will ultimately drive interest from energy, tech, auto, and industrial investors. And that's because batteries are needed for all of these sectors to decarbonize. In terms of who benefits, Albemarle, Lithium Americas, and Piedmont are among the names developing lithium resources in the U.S. Within battery assembly, there's, of course, Tesla, as well as other OEMs. That includes Ford, which recently announced a partnership with SK Innovation for an $11 billion investment to build two new battery plants in Kentucky. Now, overall, Cowan forecasts lithium battery demand growing 21% per year through 2035. Now, that total market size can support newer companies as well, with the firm pointing to battery makers in Novix and Fryer, both of which went public in the last few years via SPACs. But of course, Brian, newer companies come with their own risks and potentially unproven technologies. Okay, in the Inflation Reduction Act, there's a, oh, there's a lot in there. There's a lot of policy support. I would imagine some tax credits for this industry, for renewables, for minerals. Is it moving the needle on production at all? So it's certainly important to have that, you know, that signal at the highest level. And last week, Biden announced, um, you know, around $3 billion in new grants, including to Albemarle and Piedmont. But it doesn't address one of the key hurdles, which is permitting. And as we've spoken mm. about before, you know, that gets in the way of basically every large scale infrastructure project. So having that support is key. But then permitting provides a whole lot of challenges as well. It does. And I believe Albemarle got, I think, $100 million plus in it to help reopen that Exactly. The yes. high mountain mine in North Carolina, which, by exactly. the way, used to be the biggest lithium mine in the world till we shut it down because the U.S. didn't realize that we actually needed lithium. Yeah. And that's a brownfield mine. So because it was previously in production, they're hoping that that will speed along the process. They also have the processing plant. Piedmont Lithium looking at a greenfield mine in North Carolina. But once again, you know, there are a lot of steps that these companies have to clear to get these operations up and running. It's listen, here's the weird thing about the green revolution. It's all rooted in mining. That's the weird thing. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. I keep saying weird today. I don't know why. Maybe I'm weird, which I am. Coming up, is there any sign of a recession in travel? Your next guest says, nope. CEO of Wyndham Resorts with us next. Travel. 
has been red hot, and some travel stocks lately have been as well. Shares of Wyndham Hotels and Resorts have been on a tear, up more than 23% in October. Company reporting strong third quarter earnings, announced that it's boosting its buybacks by $400 million last week. And despite some macro uncertainties, it also hiked its full-year guidance after seeing strong demand so far this fall. Joining us now is Jeff Bellotti. He is the president and CEO of Wyndham Hotels and Resorts, where they are rolling out their 24th hotel brand called Echo Extended Suites by Wyndham. Jeff, good to have you on. You're either at a really cheap wedding or some sort of groundbreaking <laughs> ceremony. Which is it? It is, it is the uh, latter, Brian. We are Thank here goodness. with our, sec- our second groundbreaking of what you just announced, what we announced this morning. Our 24th brand, Echo Suites by Wyndham, a developer demand for it is off the charts. We've, we've awarded 120 contracts, and I'm here in Sterling, Virginia, right outside of, uh, of, of Dulles Airport with a, a great developer, Sandpiper Hospitality and Carter Rise. Know it, know it well. Say hi to my friends out there at the Dulles Greenway toll booth. My parents are out in Winchester. Just go about another hour west of where you are. Uh, let's, talk about, let's talk about hotels. As our viewers know, I, I'm traveling almost every week, so I'm booking hotels all over the country. Thank goodness CNBC is paying, Jeff, because the prices are still high. I mean, it, I mean I, and that's good for you. But are we seeing, I mean, how long can prices be elevated? It's like $400 well, they, a night in like Cleveland. Look, the demand is high, Brian. Yes, prices are high, but in relative terms, let's keep things in perspective. They're still about where they were back in 2019. I mean, the vacation season that folks thought would stop on Labor Day just hasn't. And, and prices are up. Our rev par in the third quarter was up 110%, not, not to last year, but back to 2019. September was the best occupancy month. We're the world's largest hotel franchising company that our small business owners that own those 24 brands have ever seen. And the fourth quarter is, is no exception. I mean, we're seeing holiday travel bookings now screaming ahead. Our October month-to-date bookings are up nearly 20% to where they were back in, in 2019. A lot of that is, to your point, rate. And, and nearly 10% ahead of where they were to last year when people thought things would start to, to slow down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's so much weird economic data, again, the word weird, where it's like, okay, imminent recession, but yet when you travel, as I do all the time, I'm sure you do, Jeff, I mean, Newport, Newark Airport, I can't get a parking spot some days. It's in, it, how, it's, how long it's, can it's this last? It's crazy. Our, our largest states, our largest states are Texas, Florida, California. They're all double digit. That's the demand that's up there uh, over last year, over 2019. We're, we're leaving here. We're going down to Atlanta, Georgia. I could not. We're, we're holding. Uh, we were last on, on the show with Kelly talking about what we're doing from a diversity standpoint. We're, we're meeting with 100 black owners and lodging developers. It was tough for us, to your point, to get a hotel room tonight in Atlanta, Georgia, just just for the points you raised. When the C- the we got to go, Jeff, the but when the CEO of the company can't get a room. <laughs> That's a sign of demand. You got to pull some strings. You know the guy that knows that you are the guy. <laughs> Jeff Pilati, thank you very much. Rolling out Echo Extended Suites. Congratulations, Virginia. Rolling. All right, folks, that's it for us here on The Exchange. Power Lunch is going to pick up the Fed coverage tomorrow. Is the big Fed day. We'll be here for it. We'll see you there as well. Now to Power Lunch. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. 
That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.